Hey everyone, welcome back to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFoe. And I'm Lorian McKenna. Today we're thrilled to be chatting with Celine Song, a director, screenwriter, and playwright whose debut feature, Past Lives, opened to overwhelmingly high praise at its Sundance premiere. Past Lives was recently nominated for the Best Picture and Best Original Screenplay Oscars. The film is loosely based on and inspired by Song's own life experience. Past Lives was released by A24 in summer 2023. The film has received wide acclaim from audiences and critics alike, having won Best Feature Film at the 2023 Gotham Awards and two Hollywood Critics Association Awards for Best Indie and Best Screenplay, as well as five Independent Spirit Award nominations, two Critics' Choice Award nominations for Best Picture and Best Original Screenplay, and a Directors Guild of America nomination for Outstanding Directorial Achievement and First-Time Theatrical Feature Film. Amazing. She's amazing. And as a playwright, Song is best known for Endlings, which premiered in 2019 at the American Repertory Theater and had its New York debut in 2020 at New York Theater Workshop. She has been a finalist for the Susan Smith Blackburn Prize and a semi-finalist for the American Playwriting Foundation's Relentless Award. During the New York Theater Company's virtual 2020 season, she presented live on Twitch, The Seagull, in The Sims 4. Song also wrote on the first season of Amazon series, Wheel of Time. Hey, Celine, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. We are so lucky, lucky, lucky to have you here. Um, honestly, it's a bit of a dream. I'm a super fan, nerd fan, you know, fanatic about your movie. So I can't wait to talk about it. Um, but up first, we're going to talk about our weeks or what we like to call adventures in screenwriting. So we'll let Lorian go first. Lorian, how was your week? My week was uh, good. Uh, I've gotten some traction on a few projects, little bits. Like I feel like the industry is finally like coming back to life post holidays, post strike. Um, nothing like, oh my God, this huge thing happened, but like enough to keep me um, excited and engaged. Um, but the cool thing I did this week, and I promise it has to do with writing, even though it doesn't seem like it, um, is that I was... Um, feeling kind of overwhelmed about just like all the work everything is writing the work of it family husband kid like everything feels like work to me sometimes and so I was thinking what can I do that brings me joy that has nothing to do with any of those things that's just for me and when I was a kid I used to uh horseback I used to horseback ride I used to horseback that is how I talk now I used to mm -hmm. do horseback riding and I loved it and it felt for me like um a soulmate activity um, just like doing it and being on a horse and riding. And so I was like, I'm going to take a horseback riding lesson. So I did it. And um, I tried to approach it like, I'm not trying to win anything or succeed. I'm just going to go and ride on this horse. That's all I'm going to do. And so I got there and I got right on the horse. You know, I had to step up on a um, little stool to get on the horse. And then I walked and I remembered how to hold the reins and I remembered how to post and of course it was awkward and jumbly and everything, but I remembered how to do more than I thought I did. And so I was feeling pretty good. And the woman even said, wow, for someone who hasn't ridden in like over 30 years, you're, you're doing okay. And I was like, oh my God, I got a compliment. This is amazing. And then it was time to end the lesson. And she's like, okay, get off the horse. And I was like, what? This is a giant 16 hands high beast. But I swung my leg over. And as soon as my leg hit the pavement, I crumpled, like I stumbled, I tripped. The horse looked at me with the most condescending look I've ever seen. You know how horses can do that? And and the trainer says, well, that's one way to do it. Now, I didn't fall on my ass, but I was close. And then afterwards, even though I fell down, I was super 
like kind of spacey and high in a way that I don't know that I ever remember feeling like I think it would be like what a runner might feel like a runner's high like I took the wrong turn out I don't know where I was driving around Burbank and um, I was thinking about it and what if I approached my writing that way what if I was like I'm just gonna be excited about this experience and I'm not trying to win or be productive or succeed I'm just gonna be in the experience and be in it because taking a horseback riding lesson, there's nothing else in my head. I am on the horse trying to remember to like hold the reins this way and squeeze my legs. And at one point I was like, you're giving me too many directions. I need the top two. What am I focused on? Right? Like I can't, I can't hold the reins in this way and the crop and squeeze my legs and say all these things. Um, so she gave me the two things I had to focus on. And then I was a little more successful. And then, you know, if I approach my writing like that, like, okay, I'm going to focus on two things and I'm just going to do what I'm excited about and be fully in it, even if I follow my ass at the end of it, that I can get that high of it because I'm setting expectations to just be in it and excited by it. And I, for me, that felt like revolutionary because I'm so focused on productivity and achievement and um, selling and what am I writing and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I feel like maybe I'll try this now. <laughs> Just being excited that. about something. I love that. And, if also, you can do it. <laughs> and also my legs are so sore. Oh. Honestly, like I had to take an Epsom salt bath last night, but like in a good kind of sore, like a reminder that I'm doing something. And I kind of wish there was a feeling like that with writing. <laughs> like, Ooh, my, it was leg day in writing today. Like what? So I'm reminded, like I, I did something anyway. So that was my week. Um, so I'm feeling pretty good today. I still have the the high That's just good. from, I'm going to do it again. Anyway. So that was, that was my week. Of course there was terrible That's... stuff in it too, but I don't need to talk about it today. Well, just the good Celine. stuff. <laughs> Celine, how was your week? Uh, well, this week, because the, of the Oscar nominations, which is so amazing. What? So, so cool. And I feel like really some part of it was just uh, responding to amazing messages and uh, responding to and calling everyone and talking to everyone and talking to everyone again. So some of it is just about uh, celebrating that because, of course, like with every bit of something like that, uh, you're really not just celebrating for yourself and your own uh, family and friends, but it's also for like every single member of the uh, uh, the filmmaking team, right, down to you know, like the person who, uh, you know, every, every part of the process, I feel like in the post, in the prep, every part of it, it's like you're kind of celebrating with all of them. So, and I think that being the director and being the writer and being the center of that is very much uh, about um, being the the receiver and then the vector of everybody's excitement and joy and uh, celebration too. So it's kind of like um, you have to hold... Uh, hold space for all that so I feel like I did spend like I feel like half the week doing that which is amazing like it's so cool amazing you it's know? the up it's the up it's really the up the rest really of the time the when you're a writer and you're down in the ditch of course this is the up man this, this is, is the it. up this is the up this is totally the up and I had just such an up time for um first part of this week and then of course for the uh second part of it I think that some of it is about um just like moving forward on the work that is uh, coming so some of it is about uh, pitch deck some of it is about um, the first draft I'm working on and then some of it is about like uh, uh, preparing for 
the next movie, which I already wrote a script for. But of course, part of putting a movie together is to talk about the script because that's where it all begins. So I think it's like, those are the things that I did. I think uh, as a writer, uh, as a person, I played uh, some video games with my sister, which I haven't been able to do <laughs> this month. So I just got to play some video games with my sister. We played Baldur's Gate, which is an amazing game. Incredible. Uh, incredible game. And that's the that's what we did. Um, I kind of like, we crammed a bunch of uh, gaming uh, when we weren't, uh, when I wasn't, uh, you know, writing and working on things. Um, that's about what's next, right? So I think I it was- that. So it's a kind of like a combination of the, uh, you know, past, present, and the future, right? You know, like the past being the movie that, celebrating the movie that uh, I did get to make with my amazing team, uh, this movie that we made together. And then of course the present is video game playing with my sister, which is just enjoyable <laughs> and keeps me uh, happy. And then, of course, the future of it is that, you know, like uh, working towards the uh, whatever is next, which is always the thing that, you know, I think about because I feel like I really feel like part of it is that you just have to think of it as um, you're only uh, as happy and and excited and everything as the thing that you're working on right this moment. Right. Yeah. So I think I'm just in the place where I'm like, I can't wait to start the next while holding space and celebrating the thing. Uh, we made in the past and also finding yeah. some time to game <laughs> and to can game. I ask you well they're all such connective experiences and they're yeah. can I ask you one question though yeah so did you get up at five in the morning and listen to the Oscar did you do that or how did you find out you were nominated well I was in the I was in bed uh and I had the uh, laptop we had the laptop in bed it wasn't five because it wasn't five thirty because I'm actually in New York so <laughs> thankfully it was eight thirty which is so reasonable so we were just in bed drinking coffee and then we we're just uh, watching it on our laptop in a bit. So fun. Oh my so good. Awesome. Oh, yeah. So awesome. <laughs> my hair was really bad because I had just woken up. You had Oscar hair. You'll just recreate that <laughs> that hairdo and call it glamour, right? Totally. Exactly. Yeah. Um, well, my week uh, is definitely down in the ditch. I'm back down in the ditch. I, I climbed that mountain, had that high in my life, but back down in the the working uh, digging ditches. Uh, I have a I have passion projects that are going very well, which is great because they are um, of me. If that makes sense, I when you originate something like that, I now have a writing partner, but it doesn't matter because we're originating things that I feel very confident about. And even when I get notes, I feel like I can answer the notes. I can speak so deeply about it because it's so kind of of my cells, and I just know it. But I'm also doing a project that's a assignment that's a rewrite that's a from ip that was given to me a short story and i never take ip unless i feel like i can get that cell level experience because otherwise it'll just stink um but boy they're blow up notes they are you know it's so hard when you when you can when the producer goes okay well you know we had a hard time finding our way into this and you're like oh no, <laughs> oh, no. and because it's not originating of me I'm finding it very hard because half of the creativity is sitting it feels like it's their project it's their IP they brought it to us they have expectations in their heads and there's many of them <laughs> which is also you know challenging um and how to bridge what we see what we gave them that feels of ourselves and maybe it just didn't come across in this kind of outliney form which is also so hard it, so like we're getting advice 
from like my manager who's like, you guys are tours. Do your version that you got their notes. Don't don't throw it all out. Do your version because you have to write it to know it. And even if you then throw that script away, you still have to do your version, which I know is right. And yet, <laughs> because I worked at Pixar, where you really did have to answer the notes and you really did have to dramatically shift course all the time, I have this this need to uh, pull it out of their heads, but they're not directors, right? They're executives. So there's not a lot coming. It's a lot of what doesn't work, but there's not a lot of, how about this? How about that? Did you think about this? You know, we did a movie once like this, like th that churn, that creative churn that I love so much at Pixar because you're working with other directors and creatives. It's not <laughs> happening. So I am trying to find my footing and blow up notes. And can I be brave enough to just say thank you? And I will address them, but we're going to do our version. Like it's very, it's, it's interestingly hard for me to do that. And it's so interesting to me that I'm also today, as I'm in this space of trying to be brave enough to do that, I'm talking to somebody who is, in my opinion, an amazing auteur who has been nominated as an auteur um, creator and wrote something so of yourselves, so of you, um, that I would love to just start talking about it um, with you, Celine, about you know, I've read that it's semi-autobiographical. You know, I would love just to talk to you about the auteurness of writing and directing this and that process for you, but also where it came from and how much you, of your real life did you put in? All of those kinds of questions. We can just start with whatever you feel like answering, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Well, I think that because it is such a personal uh, script and film, and I think it's also, uh, it is totally inspired by this autobiographical moment in my own life where I uh, found myself sitting in this bar in New York City in this village, sitting between my childhood sweetheart, who is now a friend, who's come to visit me from Korea, who only speaks Korean, and my husband that I live with in New York City, who's a New Yorker, uh, and he only speaks English. And I was translating between these two people, and I realized that I'm not just translating between uh two languages or or two uh, cultures but actually i was translating between two parts of my own self and there was something about that that i think that felt really special and completely extraordinary even though it just looked to anybody who's looking at us that we're just three people talking so i think that it felt like such a special uh moment and special feeling but i had no idea that it was going to be something that anybody else would be interested in Right. So I think initially the way that I went about uh, trying to see if it is something that I want to work on is that, I mean, first of all, this so this moment or this feeling ended up in the maybe pile of the kind of things that I want to work on. I don't know if you, this is true of you guys, but I kind of <laughs> have right, I have like things that I'm like, well, this is something I will certainly do or something that I have to do because it's a job now. And then there is a maybe pile of like, oh, huh, maybe I'll work on that. And then, of course, there's a pile where you discard, you know, like passing ideas that are like not going to stay. Right. So right. this idea sort of ended up in the maybe pile. And usually things start to uh, shift from the maybe pile to discarding pile. You know, it sorts itself out. Right. As in like, that seemed like a cool idea, like, you know, three months ago when I was in the middle of this. But now I'm like, I'm not really interested in doing that. Right. But this particular thought, uh, this particular feeling uh, sort of stayed with me for a long time. So 
I actually, um, but also because of the nature of the kind of story it is, I wasn't sure if uh, it would feel like a good pitch or if it feel like a good story to anybody except uh, myself. So I actually told the story to some of my friends, my writer friends, whose uh, background and story is, uh, as their life story is different than my own. I told them about this night and the things that I felt and the way that I felt stretched out throughout time and space of my own life and how these two people in my life who are both very dear to me in very different ways, they uh, know different parts of me and the other parts of me are um, mystery to them, but they're still able to uh, uh, love me whole, right? So there's something about that that I was just talking to them about. And what had happened was that every single one of my friends uh, heard the story and they had a story to tell of their own, right? Of oh, a moment. how wonderful. Exactly. And you just felt like it's like, well, they actually had felt that feeling as well. And it may not be uh, literally Pacific Ocean or 24 years so far and so long ago, but it still feels like, you know, like if you move to New York from Missouri, sometimes that's, you know, sometimes that's enough. You're like, well, there's a part of me that I left behind in my hometown, right? 10 years ago. So I think that I realize that it's a lot more, uh, it's it's a universal story. It's a story that uh, everybody can connect to. And so I then decided that I was going to write it. But then I was faced with this uh, really funny thing. And I was working on this before Parasite, where that conversation about subtitles was uh, really forefront, where people kind of worse. Uh, especially in America, mainly in America, people just weren't watching movies that have subtitles in them. But this movie is about bilingualism, right? Because it's about uh, having two parts of your own self that speaks a different language, right? So it was really important for the film to be bilingual to me and because it's, it's also so personal. But uh, the final draft didn't support uh, any other alphabet except for English alphabet, right? So... Something that, of course, something like that does is because Final Draft is an industry, uh, main industry uh, program, when it doesn't support uh, being able to write the script that I want, it has a kind of a implicit and silent way of telling me that it's not interested in this story, right? It's a kind of a, it's kind of a really discouraging thing to be like, hey, there's no way to actually write this in the the main industry uh, program. So mm -hmm. what that might mean is that like, maybe we're not interested in a story like that. Maybe we don't want to have a story like that. And again, remind, remind you, this was before Parasite where there was a conversation about subtitles. So it's a real feeling of like, should I even do it? Like, will anybody want to, uh, and is anybody going to like the script? Is anybody going to make me, uh, let me make the movie? Right. I really so, hope our emerging writers hear this because you guys have said yeah. this to us so many times. Will anybody care? It's too personal. I mean, it's amazing. Look, listen to the auteur director who's nominated is saying the exact same thing you all say. Well, that's what that's the feeling, right? You just feel like it's like, well, is are they going to be uh, interested? It's just a s story about these three people who's going through their lives. They don't have superpowers. They don't have a wildly uh, great a pitchable story that they're going through right so I think it's that feeling but then you know what's great is that so I have been in theater for 10 years and what's amazing about being in theater is that you spend uh, all your time never expecting anybody to do your play anyway <laughs> so, 
<laughs> Good training. <laughs> great training. So I think there was a part of it where I was like, you know, listen, fuck it. You know, maybe no one will do it, but it would be kind of a, a great way. I was like, maybe it'll be a spec, right? Maybe they'll give me other jobs um, if I write it well. So I think that I wrote it with the feeling of like, what's the worst that happens? They don't do it, right? <laughs> they don't make the movie. Come on. So I think that that was the attitude with which that I uh, wrote it. And of course, what that means is that um, I felt very free. You know, I mean, I was just thinking about uh, what you were saying, Lorian, about um, uh, about riding the horse too. You know, because I think that there's a part of it where you're like, ah, what's the worst that happens, right? There's a part of it like, what's the worst that happens? Uh, you have a great script that might be a great uh, spec, right? Of course, the making it a great script is the work I have to do. But once I do right. that job, exactly. you know, once I work on it and then yeah. I try to do it, you know, and then if I, you come close to succeeding, then what's the worst that happens, right? You have a script that you can show people. So, but then of course you're hoping for the best, you know, you prepare for the worst, but you're hoping for the best, which is that it's going to get made. And also on top Some of it, they're going to let me make it. prepare for the best as if we're preparing for the worst. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, what if it happens? am I prepared to do this? Right. So, yeah. you know, in, in terms of that, did you always know it was going to be feature film and you were going to direct it? Well, I think that I uh, really, really wished they would let me. Right. But I don't think that, you know, because some, some of it is like the part of it is that it's a movie. Uh, it's independent film. It's a low budget. They call it tier three. There's tier three, low budget uh, film, independent film. Um, but uh, it is still uh, an internationally made film. So we have to go to Korea. So it's not so, um, I, I couldn't imagine that being a first time filmmaker for them to entrust me with that much uh, resources and also everything, just every every kind of trust of tr So how did it happen? It. How did well, it happen? It Again, but I think that's why I love, uh, I love the idea of talking to you guys about here about the screenplay of Past Lives because it truly was just the screenplay. Because the truth mm. is, that I, um, the the feeling that you are meant to get at the end of the film is the feeling that you're meant to get at the end of the script. So part of it is that, you know, uh, the the studio, um, they read the script and then they uh, fell in love with the script and then they then were able to uh, trust me. And then they were able to um, talk to me, of course, about uh, what how I saw the movie. Which is, I mean, before all of this, though, even before talking, speaking a word to me, the script itself is a pitch doc, right? Because the yeah, script mm -hmm. itself has an has the idea of how this has to get made. So, for example, people ask me about the silences in past lives, and I'm like, well, every silence is scripted, every single one, right? Or the way that you're supposed to feel in the silence is also scripted. So, can you give an example of how it would have been scripted? What would it look like on the page? Well, it'd be like silence, and then it would have the description of what they are uh, going through. So, for example, in the scene where uh, Hesung and Nora, the two lead characters of the film, when they see each other for the first time in person in 24 years, last time they saw each other in person was when they were literally children, when they were 12. So it's the first time they're encountering each other as a grown man and a woman. So they're looking at each other, and of course, the description of... Uh, the silence has to reflect how it's going to get made. And the description was, uh, it's as though they're seeing a ghost, right? As if they are seeing a specter 
um, of just a, a genuinely a fragment of their own imagination of it's an idea of a person that is now made physical, right? And then uh, after there's a description of that, but then, you know, it's, I also was uh, describing in the script uh, that uh, this is also a moment of realization for those two characters that Hesong is thinking, oh, fuck, I came here to see her. And she's thinking, oh, fuck, he came here to see me. Which right? <laughs> is a, a, a revelation and a realization that these characters are going through. And that's written in the script, right? So the actors know exactly what it is going uh, on with them. And then after the oh, fuck, the two oh, fucks in the script, the final line of the thing is that, but then the uh, overwhelming feeling, the, the feeling that takes over, both of them is the feeling of joy of seeing each other for the uh, first time in 24 years. It's so simple. And then there is, of course, they laugh, right? So it, that's the kind of way that uh, it would have to get crafted. So it's not just the, the, the four lines or something that they say in that scene. It is also the, the air and then the sound. Some of the sound design is in the script. So, so much of it is the directing was done in the script itself. And that's how I was able to prove uh, to them without having a short film, without having anything that I knew how to direct it, right? And then they uh, believe me, because, which is amazing, because I'm, I guess I can pitch all I want. If they don't believe me, you know, it's just a, just me talking about what I think it will be like. But and I so when they were like... They were like, why can you direct it? And you're like, read the script. <laughs> I mean, I think that I think um, I think I no, never had kidding. to say that, but yeah. But I think, and I think beyond that, even also the the way that I was able to uh, uh, make the movie the way that I wanted, and at times uh, uh, beyond my wildest dreams for the movie is the collaborators who came together, right? So, and it's of course starts from producer and then uh, DP, my production designer. So every single department head, every single person who came along to make this movie, um, it really has to do with uh, if they feel connected to the script or not. So I would call uh, uh, past live screenplay as my seduction technique, right? You know, like like Animal Kingdom, like seduction I technique, where it would just be like, well, she's a first time filmmaker. She's trying to figure out, you know, it's this story. Well, if you read the script and then if you uh, want to be a part of making it, then I would really love for you to come uh, uh, make the movie. And as a result, I was able to uh, work with my uh, first choice for every department head, right? But it's because they read it and they felt connected to it and they uh, had their own emotional uh, relationship to the story. And of course, it made them uh, want to be a part of making it. So. So the way that I was able to um, get together with all my collaborators really had to do with the script itself. It's that's all I had. It was just like me and my script going around and, town. But it just really <laughs> speaks to the writing and why you're nominated and why I, you know, fingers crossed you'll win because it's a, it it's such a subtle film um, that the writing really is carrying so much of that of the interactions and. We could get fooled and think, oh, it's the director who's putting their camera on that facial expression. But you're saying it's all in the script, which makes sense because I was reading about 
your criteria. I went to your Criterion Collection movies mm -hmm. that you love and Celebration. So many of them are my favorite and Celebration. And you were saying how Vintenberg hides and reveals truth through the look on someone's face or a spare line of dialogue. And I'm like, oh my God, that's what she's doing. Like she's so at that level. Did you read a script beforehand that was written that way? And so you felt emboldened to do that? Or did you just really do it out of gut instinct of this is the way this story has to be told? Well, I think that uh, being in theater for a really long time, where stage directions are, is a part of the text in a really fundamental way, which I think is something that I found in screenwriting generally, where the action lines, um, they themselves are not an art of its own. But in theater, most plays, the way that an action line is written is a part of the style of the play so to me it was um, right I mean the so I think in I mean they call it stage directions and not action lines but but you know right. so I feel like the stage directions so I think that paying attention to the stage direction has always been uh part of the work that I was uh doing which is that stage direction has to reflect uh not just the, what happens on stage but also the uh the the style and of course the philosophy of the whole play so because sometimes it's like um in theater stage directions it's not as practical as i think the action lines and screenplays because you know you would say something like the the uh the music arrives or something right and that would not make sense really when you're thinking about a screenplay action lines but in theater you would that's a kind of a natural way that you can talk about music. You're like, the, the, the music just walks in, you know, <laughs> something like that, where right. you can have a, there's a lot of poetry. poetry. Yes. It's poetry in a way. And you yeah. can get away with a lot more poetry and language as well. Exactly. Um, yeah. 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 So I think it's that, I think it's more like, a, I, I feel like I knew to care about that stuff because of uh, the time I spent in a theater. Cause so much of the, reading of it uh, has to inspire as much as uh, the actual making of it because people who are going to make it have to feel inspired by the script and I think that's the goal yeah Amazing. I'm so curious so I studied playwriting but many 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 years ago and the way I studied it was no stage directions <laughs> like I think plays I was in the plays the plays I directed the ones I wrote it was like it's dialogue like if it's not in the dialogue and the stage direction was so sparse the way I was sort of trained to write right mm -hmm. like they enter they exit like how Shakespeare's but not that I'm saying I'm like yeah. Shakespeare. so it's so interesting to hear you talk about the stage directions being such a vital part of it and I wonder if there was a shift or like if there's a different school of thought um, because I know there is a lot of um, conversation around playwrights transitioning into TV and film. And so I'm just so curious, um, do you think that there was a shift or did I just learn it the wrong way? <laughs> no, not at all. I feel like, I think there are, uh, every writer has their own philosophy, which is at attached to their own voice, I think. I think mm -hmm. that if that's, so I feel like something about uh, learning how to write a play or learning how to write a screenplay, it is always a double-edged sword a little bit because on yeah. one hand, it is of course important to know the, uh, the classical way, like I believe in learning the canon, right? I believe in, uh, if you're gonna learn about American plays, you should learn on the all, all the plays that, uh, that we call the canon, for example. So I think in that way it is, uh, the education is so uh, invaluable. And I think that it is, uh, one should certainly have it, if only to know that 
someone has already done it. <laughs> so some yes. of the some of those reading has to happen because you're like, well, I just know that um, when I'm doing A, that there were these ten people who also were doing A. So how are you different and how are you the same? Right? Yeah. What worked about them and what it's not working about. We have to know the rules right. to break the rules, right? Exactly. So well, the, on the other hand, I think that it is also so hard because given that um, our work is so uh, unstructured in some way, right? The structure is something that comes from us, right? Writing is like, I mean, the the we're talking about the screenwriter's life, right? It is completely like we don't have a nine to five, right? If you can, if you can apply a nine to five to our lives, but um, that's up to you. That's a structure that you are building. So in that way, it's the structure of a screenwriter's life and a structure of a screenplay or a play or a teleplay, whatever it may be. The structure is something that we are uh, always building. So what that means, though, is that um, uh, the, the rules themselves that are given to us, they are amazing references and they're things to feel connected to. But at the end of the day, the structure of your screenplay is the one that you're building from ground up. And maybe you want to do something conventional with it. And maybe you want to follow the, the rules that are in the books. But maybe you want to do some version of that and then maybe turn left completely at a moment. Like with where... your time jumping. I thought your time jumping <laughs> chapters was so beautiful way to structure a, 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 what I, it se seems non-traditional. Maybe underneath all of the, the chapters, there is actually a very tra traditional character movement. But um I thought that was such a beautiful way to keep us moving through, to structure for us, you know, to step on a stone. Okay, here we are. Did you have that in mind when you started or is it something that evolved? Well, I think that this movie is so much about the way that time and space uh, works through our own lives, right? It's about the vast amounts of time and space that we go through. So I, it was really important for this film to have uh, time feel... Uh, Time, ref time and space be reflected in the way that we ourselves in our real lives uh, encounter time. So I think what I mean by that is like, you know, uh, two minutes can feel like eternity, but also 24 years can feel like a, a snap, right? In like one yeah. second. And I think that's how it always feels to us, the way time lives in our bodies. So I feel like when I think about myself when I'm 12, I'm like, well, that feels a little bit like yesterday but also it feels like a thousand years ago, right? It's a contradiction of that. And I think in mm. that way, that's how I wanted the uh, to time to move, right? Because suddenly that's how time feels to us. We're like, well, where did this month go, right? Where did this week go? What happened to the last year? I can't believe it's already 2024, but also- Except for January is 36 months long right now. I, I know, <laughs> it's, it feels like a really long January. I'm like, so isn't it August yet? Oh, so yeah. it's I, it's yeah. so subjective and so relative yes. and that's how it feels and I wanted the film to have uh that kind of flexibility and that kind of ways of seeing time right because and I really course, love that you did that in the directing but you you clearly also did that on the page for course. people to have that feeling when they were reading it that that's coming out of the writing because sometimes people you know just assume well that a director did that right or, or a director mm -hmm. gave that feeling and what you're saying which i absolutely agree with is no that is coming out of the writing it's coming out of the pacing and the structure and the choices of those chapters so much of that even though it's not unquote quote unquote dialogue is being created by the writer which is crazy to me that people don't get that but sometimes they don't get that well you know, absolutely um, i mean the the structure of it is the writer's uh domain 
right? So in that way, time and space, which is the thing that you are building, which is the building blocks of the structure, it is uh, completely the writer's domain. So the way the script is written is the way that um, time and space in this particular film is going to go. So, and the other thing is, you know, in the script, when the 12 years are passing, 12 years passed twice uh, in the film. And it was really important to me that it was written out as 12 years pass, as opposed to 12 years later, right? Because there's a very real difference. And that's how the uh, titles are in the movie itself. In the movie, it says 12 years pass. And the reason why it should be called 12 years pass and not 12 years later is because 12 years past makes the characters feel more passive in dealing with time and space. It feels like 12 years are going to pass regardless of what the characters want, yes. right? Oh, it's, so it's it's oppressive, right? To feel like, no, 12 years, whether you like it or not, it will pass, right? <laughs> so, so even Maybe. in that, you can have a way to tell the story. And in another film, 12 years later would make more sense. But in this one, because it is about the way that time changes you completely and makes you a different person. If, and the person that you love when you were 12, maybe they're gone by the time that you see them again. Because right, of so, that, it should be past. Right. Yes, I, I want to bring up a topic now uh, that I'm obsessed with. <laughs> because I love your movie so much. So, And I tell everybody to watch your movie, especially Yay, women. Um, so Lori and I are part of a group of, of parents, mostly women. And I set up a Zoom and I told them all to watch your movie because I just wanted to talk about the movie from a female point of view. Um, and all these women got on and we had the most amazing conversation about being a woman. And it got very intense in the best kind of way in terms of the most emotionally intimate way of talking about being a woman and our experience of being a woman. Because for me, your character of Nora is utterly groundbreaking. She is utterly groundbreaking, and I hope everybody who's voting hears me. She is utterly groundbreaking in film and storytelling because she just is her own person, and she begins the movie already knowing her value and worth. A lot of times when I'm working with emerging female writers, their stories are about I'm not good enough, and they're trying to find agency and get to the other side. Nora just is. Like, literally, I know this is going to sound weird, but sometimes now in my life, because I grew up in a, a time that, you know, we really were all about servicing what other what men want and not ourselves and putting our center in ourselves is how you survive. So sometimes I'll catch myself doing it and I'll be like, wait a minute, what would Nora do right now? Because I just <laughs> loved the way she doesn't she doesn't defend herself like shrilly. She's not getting really uh, defensive. It just is. She just exists in the world with her value and her worth as her center. And the best part of all, or not the best part, but one of the parts I love is that your male characters, that's why they love her. Mm -hmm. Like this yeah. isn't a traditional men fighting over a woman and who will she pick or, and I just said on this Zoom, listen, there's times in this movie I got uncomfortable by her response to the men's questions because she wasn't worried about how they would feel about it. And that I realized this whole survival instinct I have of constantly making sure the men are going to feel okay. And I was like, she doesn't, she's answering truthfully. So anyways, I know I'm talking so much because I just yeah. love Nora oh, so love much. Mm -hmm. She's so important to me as a character. Um, can you talk about where, I know Nora is part of you. So I'm also now a fan of yours. 
before we get to your question, I want to add to that. I wasn't a part of the Zoom because who knows why, but uh, for me, I just more compliments coming your way. Um, with Nora, I kept bracing myself for when she was going to um, comfort her husband with sex because mm. that's what we're seeing for a woman to make it okay that she's like that. And I kept waiting for that scene, like bracing myself, like, oh God, here it comes. And it didn't happen. And I was like, Oh my God, what a revolution that she didn't feel compelled to make him feel better by giving herself, her body to him in some way, right? Like uh, reassuring him about her love, reassuring him about her being with him. And it was so startling to me. Like here, like Meg said, like, here's a woman who's not, her, her job is not to make him feel okay with what she's going through. Or what her choice and, is, that it's yeah. not her job that he has to feel okay with her choice as if she'll change her choice. But she's not doing it. She's still open. She's still empathetic. She's still present. You know, it's not like the cold bitch or whatever ends up when women become this character. You just held her right in such an authentic, centered place that I think it is truly revolutionary to me. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about where Nora came from or I don't know. I it's just, we'll it just, just continue so to shower you. No, with our this moves me so much because this makes me so happy because I feel like Nora really is a character that I think that I wanted. Uh, I always want uh, uh, to see myself too because I think it's of course inspired by this very autobiographical moment. But I think that like all film characters who you know are played by amazing actors and are become characters, and part of it is that like. Uh, she is meant to be uh, heroic and aspirational for uh, the audience, right? And I think that's also, I would even say that about the men in the film too, because part of how she is able to be uh, uh, be herself, like we're talking about, is because of the way that the, the men are there for her and they show up for her, right? Because, and they're not going to withhold their, their love or their heart just because she is who she is and all she can offer is herself, right? And I think that this is something that I, uh, so many of us uh, modern people and modern women uh, are going through in general, which is this, this new kind of a way that we have to hold space, which is the, we talk about the strength, we talk about courage, we talk about uh, heroism of every day. But I think that the way that, uh, the character of Nora is going to hold that is by being actually so completely generous in her own terms, right? Because she's not going to say, I think you're right. She could try to make this into something where it turns into a uh, babying of the men, right? <laughs> where she's trying to <laughs> yes. take care of the men as though they are, they need taken care of. But part of her generosity, I think actually is that she knows these men and she knows that they can show up for her. And she has so much faith that she's not going to embellish or uh, oversell or or uh, condescend perform. to them or condescend yeah. to them, which I don't think a lot of women realize that in trying to please them all the time or appease them, it's kind of condescending. Yeah, of course. And and I think that, of course, then the men show up with their uh, their heroism. And I think that something that I was talking to the male actors in the film is uh, about masculinity and in the way that I myself as somebody uh, who loves men uh, and the the way that I think about masculinity or the way that I actually love masculinity because of course we can we talk about masculinity it is often with a chest pumping you're my woman 
how dare you don't speak to her like that kind of an idea of masculinity but to me the masculinity that uh makes me love a man is always the masculinity that is able to hold space and hold uh, actual acknowledgement of the personhood of the person that they love and they care about an actual full acknowledgement of a woman and her own autonomy i think that's always that patience or that ability to set themselves aside like you know because the characters and the, the guys in the film is not like they don't feel insecurity they don't feel jealous they don't feel weakness part of it is that instead of turning those weaknesses into her problem for her to solve what she's going to they're going to say instead is they're going to be like no actually this is a moment for you i actually can't i'm not going to make my insecurity and my weakness and my uh my my thing become the moment for you because i think it's revolutionary that is revolutionary (laughs) i mean and that that she knows what she wants i had a male friend say well i was really disappointed that they weren't together at the end and i'm like well she might be too but she should she give up what she wants for her life and the life she wants course well go backwards and they they i was not disappointed i was not disappointed at all i when nora says that 12 year old girl still exists that was her giving that 12 year old girl back to him and saying like this is who you're in love with right like or you're even in love with the 24 year old version of me but this version of me is you don't know me you don't know right you don't know me so you can't want me so when she goes to her husband at the end spoiler alert and she (laughs) he she cries about this and he wraps her in his arms and opens the gate I was like that's what she's supposed to be well with this person who can see and witness and hold her in the pain of giving she's kind of make it about himself yeah make it about himself because she has things to do and go and be in the world i thought it was a happy ending it's a happy i mean to to, the truth (laughs) is that it is absolutely a happy ending because what an amazing thing that all three of them get exactly what they want because what happens to nora is that she i don't think she knew that she never got to say goodbye to the 12 year old girl that she left behind when Mm -hmm. there was that moment of flashback um where Mm -hmm. uh you know hesung and nora say goodbye for the final time and then they have a moment of flashback we are flashback uh in that flashback it's the two kids are standing in the dark right they actually said goodbye to each other when there was light but they actually uh say goodbye uh, for the very final time in the flashback in the dark and what that's meant to imply is that these two kids have been waiting to get their goodbye for 24 years in that same corner and what an amazing thing that uh, she got to say goodbye to her 12 year old self, which I don't think that she knew just like and how, his 12 year old self. If, exactly. Right? And like they, of course, they get to yeah. say goodbye to each other as 12 year old kids, which they never got to do because they were too young to know how to do that. So it's amazing that they got to say goodbye and he gets to go and he gets to move on with his life and live his own life and really um, probably uh, reconnect with his uh, girlfriend who he's, she's, he's having a break with. He's going to get to uh, move forward because he got to actually confirm that that 12 year old girl is gone, but she's still here. It's a contradiction, but it's she's she's here and she's gone and they got to say goodbye. And so does Nora. And how what an amazing thing for her husband, Arthur, because Arthur actually gets to meet his wife as a 12 year old crybaby, which we know he wants. Right. We know that he's learning a new language for it. He's. He all he wants is to know his wife better. So what an amazing thing that as a result of this uh, visit, that 
he got to meet his wife as a 12-year-old crybaby, a piece of her that he never knew, right? So the truth is, the, the two men, um, when they're talking, it's just the two of them in the bar, right? And they're talking to each other. Something that is happening is in that scene, uh, John Cale's song, uh, You Know More Than I Know is playing. And that's exactly what they're saying to each other. The truth is that these two men, they hold key. They hold a key to this woman that the other guy doesn't have, right? And they could either wrestle each other for each other's keys or be really mad at each other for holding a key at all. Or they could actually be so grateful for each other that the, at least the other guy has the key, right? And together, they can start asking each other, you know, what the other person knows, right? And only when both of them are uh, willing to unlock her with the keys they have, is she then able to be whole? And what a what a well-loved woman in that way, right? And she's going to be complete because these two guys, instead of, you know, starting to punch each other or something, <laughs> they're going to uh, unlock her and uh, love her in her uh, in her as her full self, right? And they know that they can't do that without the other guy, right? So I think that's really the uh, listening to you talk about your film is super inspiring because it's clear you love it and believe in it and know what you're talking about in terms of your vision, which I think so many of us are taught to be like handed to someone like, do you like it to be able to talk about something um, so confidently and clearly know it's good. And it's brilliant. And like, you're standing in your power in a way that's really inspiring. And I, I want more of that for myself and every other woman that is doing something because we don't, we're not taught to do that. We're taught to sort of throw our achievements to the side a little bit. Um, uh, yeah. And it's beautiful that you're doing it because you love your characters and you love the story yeah. and you love, I can tell that you love Nora and you love both men, right? At so much in terms of their foibles, their weakness, their jealousies, whatever. You love all of it. And that to me is the door for all of us, all of us creators to stand in our own power mm-hmm. is that love and connection to our characters and to the stories that we want to tell about them. So in your, I'm so curious um, in the process of doing this because of exactly what Lorian's talking about, how was it taking notes? Um. Well, I think that I spent uh, such a long time in theater and then I did have a, a staff writing job in, in film, in, sorry, in TV. I worked on the show Wheel of Time, the first season. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'm so used to uh, workshop development notes and things like that. I think I uh, didn't have... Uh, I didn't have much of a problem with them because I feel like I'm usually good at receiving a lot <laughs> and then deciding which are the things that uh, I actually believe in. Because And something that I remember my a theater teacher uh, told me that I always think about whenever I am faced with a deluge of uh, feedback, which I know is something that you're going through, Meg, which is that when you see that, something that she, I remember her saying is that she says, if it, if it makes you angry and hurt, then you know that there is something there, but it may not be the, but also something that I know is that their solution rarely is the way to solve, right? <laughs> the thing that uh, feels vulnerable, 
right? Because as in like, I don't think I, I rarely get the feedback where they're able to provide me with the correct solution to the problem. But I think right. that this feeling that I get when I am hearing feedback and I'm like, well, I think whatever, this, this, this thing is not working, right? Something about it. Some of those things, I'm just like, well, I think you're wrong, right? And then, <laughs> but then some of those things, I'm just like, oh God, that hurts. I'm so mad. I can't believe you said that to me, right? Then right. I know like, okay, well, we got to work on that a little bit. <laughs> I do. I think that's where I am right now because part of me yeah. wants to go on the trail that we hacked out of the jungle. Yeah. And I do believe in that trail, but I'm feeling vulnerable and hurt because they are right about something on this trail is mm -hmm. off. Yeah. Uh, and I, my brain is just trying to find, I'm, I'm going to feel a lot of anxiety until I find the next trail, if that makes sense. Like I totally. literally feel like I'm in the jungle right now. Totally. But I, I love that that's going to help me so much uh, keep calibrating uh, because it's right. Yeah. Your, your teacher was right. So thank you for that present today. Well, but I think it's also like the, what you're talking about is that like you are the authority of your own work. The truth is that you're the person who knows it best. You're the person who thought about it the most. You're the person who's been obsessed with it. And you actually are the person who has to go in and do it. So all these people who are giving you notes, right? They don't know what it's actually going to be like to be in the jungle, right? You're the person who has to go in the jungle. And but thankfully, you're also the only person who really knows where the trails are, right? <laughs> so I think it's that feeling. And I think that's where I, that's the way that I always feel uh, uh, when I'm feeling lost, the way that I feel connected to the confidence again, it's always that like, well, how many hours have they actually thought about this character? Right? <laughs> like the mm -hmm. hour, the two hours that they were reading it. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, yeah. I'm like dreaming about this character. I'm sleeping with mm. this character. I'm like waking up in the morning and thinking about the character. Like, and not only that, I also have to, if, if something is not working about the character, I'm the person who has to go in there with the machete or a surgical knife and like fix it up right so there's nothing and hope uh, we don't kill them hopefully don't kill them of course hopefully <laughs> you lose keep them finger. alive they can yeah. lose a finger it's okay i mean if it's, if it's interesting they can lose a finger that's <laughs> interesting if what, but, they, what do they do when you cut the finger off is what i'm interested that's in, what we're right? interested in but i think yeah. but i think that's the i think that's the truth of it it's like like i think uh that's the part of it where you're like no matter how much because of course, uh, uh, people these people with uh, uh, notes often they come with uh, money and power, right? So because they're showing up with money and power, there is a, a funny feeling that it's like because at the end of the day we need money and power to get something made. So it feels like they are in some ways showing up as their our authoritarian or their our own, uh, you know, the authority that we're having to contend with. But the truth is that like no, no, no. Fortunately. The authority is you, you know, you're the authority because uh, they actually don't have uh, a project without you. They don't, you know, they because you can't do anything without a script. Right. What are we all always what is every production waiting for? Well, they, they're waiting for the script to be ready. Right. So in that way, it's like the amount of power that you already hold by being the author of it, by the person who is in the weeds of it, who knows the answers to what's going on in the script. That power is, I think, that's so often overlooked when in fact it's like, well, that's the, listen, that's the only thing that gave me authority in directing this movie, right? That's the only uh, authority that I had in asking for, you know, the money to make this movie in two languages, you know, shooting in two countries uh, with, you know, over 100 people crew every day, you know, park, trying to park 21 trucks and 
New York City, you know, like whatever the authority is so easy so easy but the the authority of that is like well where did that come from well it came from the power that i already had which is that i know these characters i know the story better than anybody else and did that help you with the transition to directing that without question absolutely even though there's 21 trucks and producers coming and we have to cut a half a day and you can that's it's still coming out of that script for you of course it is coming out of the script and it's also uh, from every department head who uh, read the script and love and loves the script and has uh, uh, is is your collaborator in the script. So as in like you know sometimes we would of course have to cut a half a day, but the solution if I'm looking around to everybody who's read the script, loves the script and cares about the script, if I look around and say like okay what are the solutions, you're rarely going to have a bad solution because all of them know what matters about scene. Because and they know what matters about the scene because they read the script and they fell in love with the characters and they fell in love with the story. So I think it's that. I mean, I would talk about it as like, you know, the the list of things that I knew and the list of things that I didn't know, right, was uh, very uneven. I didn't know anything about making a movie, and right. then but I knew the things that I knew, and they were story, character, uh, what I know about blocking, what I know about actors. Right. But and what I know about uh, how to work with them. So those are the things that I knew. Everything else, reading the call sheet. Right. What department is doing what I was so confused about, like set dressing versus art. Like I was so confused. Production where who's everyone. So there were things that I just didn't know anything about um, that was in such a long list and a really short list, which is like story character of the things that I did know. But what happens is that, thankfully, as long as you know story and character and you know your own script, everything that's on your, the things that you don't know list is going to shrink every day because that you can learn. And there are also people who's there, who are there, who've done it a hundred times, who is going to be able to tell you exactly what it is and fill in your own gap, fill in my own gap uh, yeah. for uh, what I don't know. So they'll, right. they'll shrink that list every day with me. They'll help me shrink that list. But the thing that I can always hold on to, that's the center of gravity of this, you know, hundreds of people production is my own knowledge of story, character, what's going to work, what's not going to work, right? What it has to be, what it doesn't have to be, right? (laughs) Like, well, that's too expensive. Does it have to be that? And sometimes the answer is like, actually, yes, we have to spend that money. And sometimes the answer is, no, you don't need it. It's fine. It can be set in a different place, right? So yes, I all think coming from the script. It's so amazing. Coming from this, it's all coming from the script. And oh. the power of that is, and the authority of that is one that uh, even the most powerful, most uh, uh, moneyed person who is not you is unable to touch. They can't touch that because they don't have a project without the script. They don't. They don't have the project without... Uh, the what you know about story and character and by the way if money and power ignores story and character we always see the result in the box office we always see the result in the way that the audience is not not show up for it like it, it doesn't matter what kind of project it is if the story and character is not there the project will not be uh, received the way that they want you know so there's so much I th- what i'm trying to say is like Meg, you have so much power. You know what I mean. <laughs> I <laughs> Even know the I power you don't it. know. You know. I just feel like the universe co- made this happen today because yeah. I I needed it so much. 
Yeah, I had a question. Same. So I am uh, going back and forth. Everyone on the podcast knows. Am I going to direct this movie I wrote? Am I not going <gasps> to direct this movie? Am I going to direct this movie I wrote? So I have, I'm directing it. So yeah. now it's about finding partners in that. And I know certain things. I know what I know. And I don't know what I don't know. I mean, I, I, I know what I don't know, but I also don't know what I don't know. One of the things that's really intimidating to me is the way directors talk about cameras lenses the the sort of um way that you see a director is they're looking in the camera mm. you know um and i i can look at a monitor and i'm really good in post and um but like is that a piece of it like do i have to go to a directing class and learn about lenses and your, your camera work was so beautiful too so yeah so. like did you know about that stuff or were you working with like a killer dp or how did well, i that did I did work with a killer DP. I did work with a killer DP. I did work with a killer production designer. I'd work with a killer uh, costume designer. Like part of it is like they are able to fill in the gap of uh, your own savviness around the visual part. But okay. at the end of the day, uh, it is really about, um, because of course things can be shot beautifully, but it also might be shot in a way that's meaningless, right? So it doesn't matter how, because of course, every amazing killer, brilliant DP has worked on a project that uh, even though, of course, the image itself is beautiful, the movie, it doesn't mean anything. So the way that you know better than even the best DP in the world about camera, even if you don't know everything about the camera, is that you know uh, what is right for the story and character again, right? You can, the thing is, it's like sometimes, you know, we have a really cool angle. But then you're going to realize that that really cool angle that looks really amazing isn't right for the story. Because unfortunately, the story is about this person's face. <laughs> so, so maybe you'll get that shot. But in the edit, you might realize that you don't need that shot. Right. You might be like, wow, wild. We just have to actually up the camera on their face. Right. Did you storyboard, so, did you storyboard your, your movie? No, we didn't. But, no, we, we didn't. But, but we would have a pretty detailed plan for what kind of shots uh, we're going to uh, have. But I mean, one thing that's really helpful that I know is something I feel like as you're looking for a DP, Lorient, the thing that I found really helpful in finding my DP is knowing uh, what kind of a, a chemistry that you're going to have, right? Because uh, something that I really respected so much about my conversation with Xavier, who's my DP, is that he he did not try to, I talked to a lot of DPs for the job, but he did not try to dazzle me and scare me and uh, intimidate me uh, by talking about the technical and discussing their own technical prowess. Yeah. And it's not like I was going to be intimidated or because I'm, you know, it's hard to scare me, but I still <laughs> respected that so much because I was, I respected that he, what he wanted to talk about was uh, story, character, movies that uh, he loved in reference to it shots mm -hmm. that he loved in reference to it and the way that he would talk to me about shots it would be like what do you think do you like it it wouldn't be something do you like this or do you like this better you know it wouldn't be something where he would say um well this lens uh this camera like you know it would always be like what do you think does this feel like the movie does so this he was feel making like Nora? space he was picking yeah. space oh, yeah. for well, you, also, the way you yeah. describe the men in the movie. You found yeah, exactly. somebody to work with who, yeah. does, who did exactly. that Exactly. And he speak, he's going to speak in the language that we share, right? Because, for yeah. example, like I could also dazzle him with uh, whatever is going on with me, 
like whatever whatever I have to offer. But maybe I dazzle them with the script or something like that, where I could also try to intimidate him that way. But instead, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the common ground with the common language we share, which is character, story, right? What feels right, right? Which is an instinctive thing. So I think it's really about that. I think that kind of a... Uh, collaboration is really at the heart of it but the other part of it I mean and some of it is like it's it's so funny because the movie will also teach you what it has to look like so that scene and for the carousel that's in the trailer you know it's a very important set piece you know the where the two of them are talking about their past in front of the carousel we scouted that location uh in Dumbo the Brooklyn Bridge Park like 10 times right we all had such a spectacular plan for what we wanted to get there and we had that's one of the scenes that we talked so much about how we're going to shoot it. And we had like, we, this is where we blew all our gadget budget, you know, like we spent so much money. Like we're trying to figure out how to, we, we had such an amazing ambitions about, we have such amazing ambitions about how we're going to shoot that uh, scene in for the carousel. We wanted to uh, end the whole thing in a sunset in a very spectacular camera forward kind of a way. And we got there and then because the day was cloudy, there was no sun. So there was no sun to set. And it's the first time in the 10 times we come to scout the place that this happened, right? So all the plans we had to catch the sun, we literally located the sun, we had a whole plan. It was all gone because the sun, uh, you could not see it. You could not see the sun. So there was an amazing moment where we kind of had to, and we kept thinking that there's going to be a miracle and the sun's going to show up, but it never happened and we were losing light. So we still ha had to go and shoot that scene in front of the carousel. And we were uh, having to make decisions on the fly. And the decision was, of course, you know, let's just point the camera at the two of them and let them do the scene. We'll just let them do the scene until the light's gone, right? So we, I think, gave them like, we were able to give them three takes right, of that scene where they're doing the whole conversation with the carousel going in the background, just a two shot, right? And uh, what's amazing is that like, I think I really went to the actors and I said, hey, so the things that we were planning to do with our camera, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. So now it's for you guys to bail us out. You guys know how to shoot the scene. You guys know what the scene is, right? Oh. You guys know uh, what where you have to be emotionally. We're just gonna put a camera on you, and we're not even gonna uh, we're not gonna do anything except roll it, roll on you until uh, there's no more light, right? And the actors, they because of the work that we have been doing uh, throughout, they knew what the scene was, so they just sat there and they just did the scene three times, right? And of course, in the edit. When I was watching it, I'm like, that's spectacular camera shot, whatever we were going to plan on. It wasn't going to be as good as this. Like I was going to go for this shot anyway, because you just want to sit there with the characters, right? Because whatever we're doing with the camera is going to distract from the way that they're breathing or the way that they're moving towards each other, which is something that they're doing and they're blocking and the camera isn't moving, you know? And this part of it is that you just need to uh, work with the DP who understands that and who sees that and is also able to adjust to that. But also it's uh, for yourself to know because uh, 
a beautiful shot. There are a ton of commercials with beautiful uh, camera work, right? But a feature film is a storytelling thing. So how are you going to tell the story? It's almost irrelevant, right? And the best uh, cinematography is one where uh, you barely notice it because you're so engrossed yeah. in the story. Right? I totally agree. And I love that we started this conversation talking about the script and that this is the scene you described too, what you wrote in yeah. the script. Like, so of course everybody knew because it was coming out of the, that beautiful writing in the script. I could, I have to say, I could talk to you for another hour, but I know you're so busy and you have so many interviews and things to do. I just want to say real quickly, I think you should have been nominated as best director. I just have to say that they made a mistake. Okay. Um, th but we do end every show asking our guests three questions. So we'll just ask them to you very quickly. Okay. Um, I'll ask the first question. What brings you the most joy when it comes to your writing? I think when the thing that I'm writing uh, teaches me something that I didn't know, right? When I feel like I can only really uh, go for something or, or believe in something if it is uh, smarter than me. If the writing that I, uh, uh, the thing that I'm working on is smarter than me and I'm always just trying to keep up. I think that's my favorite part, like feeling like the mm -hmm. thing that I'm writing is outrunning me. And I have to run really fast to catch it. That's I my favorite that. part. Yeah. I love it. So you're going <laughs> to run onto a galloping horse and not fall yeah, on your ass. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're like, where's the horse? Yeah. Do I know how to ride it? Get on. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, okay. So the second question is, what pisses you off about writing? Uh, that... Uh, you know, I think that whenever it is concealing what it is, I think I get really upset. I'm just like, just like be open with me, you know, <laughs> when it's unclear, when it's feeling opaque. I think that's the hardest part when I feel like I think that there is something beyond the murky waters. Is there something beyond the fog? But I haven't been able to get there yet. And you, and you're, you just keep walking and it's a slog, right? You keep walking and walking, wading through the mud, being like, I just know there's something at the end of it. I'm so annoyed that it's we're not there yet. And I hope it comes today, but it might come two months from now. Right? Yeah. That's the yeah. feeling. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm there today. Or you're lost in the jungle. In yeah, lost. Yes, exactly. You're lost in the jungle. <laughs> That's exactly. It's so validating <laughs> to hear you say that. Thank you for sharing. That's like just <laughs> such a gift. Such a gift to everyone listening. Thank you. Um, this will be especially interesting, this last question, Celine, because okay. I feel like it kind of resonates with your movie, but... The thing we always ask our guests is if you could go back and have a coffee with your younger self, like kind of on the precipice of her big break, what would you tell that, Celine? And you can decide whatever your big break is because you've had plenty of success even before this film. Um, I think I would tell her to relax a little bit <laughs> because I think that um, I, in general, uh, even though, even when I feel like I know it and when I, I feel like I think I have it or something, I think it is so easy for me to doubt because I think that I, and I think this is true about uh, really so many of us writers, which I think is what's, you know, annoying and hard and stupid, but we have to accept it, which is like, there is a part of 
us that's a good student and a perfectionist, right? It's like, I want to get 100% on my test, right? <laughs> and I think that's just, un unfortunately, I think that is a natural part of so many of us writers because so much of the work is about um, showing up for it every day. So, and also showing up punctually. And like, if you need to put in six hours, then you have to show up and do that, which is all marks of a good student, of a punctual good student. And, uh, but the thing that we're doing is making art, which being a good student is not uh, a, a great prerequisite <laughs> for. So I think I'm always, so I think the part of me that is a good student and a good girl is always uh, fighting against the part of me that knows that uh, I can't follow the rules and I can't um, just do the thing that the whole world is expecting you to do it. So it's always a kind of a contradiction. And I think that in that contradiction, the part of me that's a good student is always like really mad about it. And it's like really like anxious. I mean, this is what you're talking about, Meg. You're saying, no, like, I, you know, yeah. like saying like you want to do all the notes, right? Because I mean, right. if it was an essay for your high school, like, of course, you, you would have do to do notes. it. You have to do it. But I think that's just, an, I think that's an occupational thing where I think it's like so many of us, the endurance to be a writer, which is a, requires a lot of patience and a lot of um, sitting in things that you don't want to sit in. Um, it, as a result, I know most writers I know have the good student syndrome. And I think similarly, I think I really have one. So I would just tell her to relax a little bit because like, you know, she did what she could and it's fine and it's going to be okay. Uh, and if it's not okay, maybe if it's if it's not something that's gonna happen right away, it's it's okay because uh, you still got to do the thing that you wanted to do, and it's okay. Like it's kind of a thing where I would just be like, "Girl, chill." Like that's what I would say <laughs> to my youngest. I'd be like, "Girl, just like chill out. Like please, like you know, you could make that you could make that your ringtone. So every time you get a text, I'll say, "Girl, chill," in your own Girl. voice please chill. Like it's, yeah. you're okay. Like it's fine. It's fine. It's not perfect. But I think that's the perfectionist. That's the one to get a, yes. a plus plus plus, right? You're like, I'm like, I just want to get it right. And you're like, listen, you will never do that because mm -hmm. unfortunately, unlike, uh, you know, like whatever, uh, going to law school or something, it's not, uh, it's not a linear path and it's, and a perfection is, uh, not what anybody shows up to a thing for. Right. Like nobody goes see the movie because of the the perfectionism. They come because they want to feel human. Right. They go it's the see opposite movie. of perfectionism. Exactly. It's mm -hmm. about the imperfect. It's about the imperfections. And I think it's like it's it's that it's the thing of like, yeah, actually, the uh, people want to uh, people want to watch something that's a uh, A minus or a B plus. You know what I mean? <laughs> they don't want they don't want to watch something that is A plus 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 because it's, it's it's oppressive to them. Right, it's not art. Right? But I yeah. want the A plus plus plus. I know. I, I want to. I, I know me too. I want to get the A plus 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 for the B plus thing that I made. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's so right. Awesome. It is an addiction. That's right. That's like yes. that has imperfections. Has like that's... has rough edges. That's meant to feel alive and human. I want to get A plus 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 for that. <laughs> and you have because you got nominated for yeah, it. It's so amazing. Which I it's believe so is cool. the A plus plus plus. Yes. And so incredibly good. well deserved. Um, and all, as all of the nominations and wish you got more.
but uh amazing amazing <laughs> thank work you thank you so much. so much for being so on the fun. show today this was thank so you funny. this is my one of my favorite conversations ever this is so fun uh, I'm good so oh good because we're gonna have you back because i we have, have many to. questions we didn't even get to <laughs> okay yes. great can't wait you please have, have me back um you know have me back for for every movie i hope you know? yes, yes of, VR, course. of course <laughs> thank you guys so much thanks so much to celine for joining us on today's show Past Lives is available to rent on digital platforms right now. And have you thought about joining our Patreon? Come on over. We're having a blast. We're getting into some really great conversations and helping people out on their projects. So uh, we'd love to see you over there. And remember, you are not alone and keep writing. Keep writing.